0: Welcome to the Chronic Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Malbro. Thanks for finding us on the interweb. however so you do. On this blue, blue Monday to start the football season, uh, the Saints lost forty to thirty-two. Um, and as always, to break it all down, we're joined by joined by Andrew Juge of the Saints Nation. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to start with this point in that the Saints. Look, they, they looked horrible. Washington, I thought, was in complete control of the game from snap, snap one until the end. The Saints did have a chance to win, but Washington was in control of it. Um, the immediate thing that I took away from it was, and me and you texted back and forth during the game, was I felt like Washington was not only in complete, complete control, I thought they out-coached the Saints – by leaps and bounds, especially on offense. That game plan they had for Robert Griffin III, it was almost like they were like we're not running anything in the preseason and Robert, we're just going to do those things you do at Baylor. We're going to do them in the NFL and I know everybody says you can't run the spread option and all this, but we're doing it and it's going to work. And they ran the spread option and it totally put the Saints back on their heels and I think totally nullified the, the Saints defensive aggressiveness throughout the whole game
1: yeah i think that's accurate honestly if, if you look at the game and a lot of people were telling me this i, I went to the game and so I didn't really get a chance to, to get a feel for the sideline or get a chance to look at Cromer and how he was managing the game but a lot of people told me but there's no leadership on this game yeah. and he, even even breeze uh, people were telling me you know he didn't look Like he had that passion, that fire, that he was motivating the troops, that everyone just kind of had this deer-in-the-headlights look on the sideline. And I I watched the game tape today, and i got to tell you, the only guy at any point that I felt was passionate or motivating the troops or getting in guys' faces was special teams coach Greg McMahon. And I think at one point maybe Spags, but other than that, I really agree with what people were telling me. I saw lack of leadership, lack of fire. And um, I think the Saints got caught completely off guard,
0: Ralph. Yeah, and you know what? It's one of those things where we talked about it in the in the you know in the off season when when it was you know we knew that Sean Payton wasn't going to coach in the year. It was one of those things where who's gonna who's gonna fill that void? Somebody's got to fill that void of the leadership because in a game you. You need a guy, one, that makes decisions on what to do, you know, and adjustments. But you've also got a guy that when the shit hits the fan and your plan is out the window and you're sort of in the mini, you know, you have mini crises in games, you got to have a certain guy that says, hey, get your shit together and grabs it. And the Saints are used to Sean Payton being how he is and... Cromer's got to be himself, and maybe just he's maybe not a sort of in-your-face guy. I don't know. And the Saints just had, like you said, I think they got thoroughly outcoached, and they just they got hit in the mouth, and they didn't have Sean Payton to sort of pull them up. It's not something that's necessarily fatal to them, but, you know, it could take some getting used to.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think I underestimated how – how tough it was going to be not having Sean Payton and Joe Vitt. And, and listen, when Sean Payton left, uh, you and I both remember very well that, and I know everyone listening remembers Joe Vitt making that, that initial press conference. And right after it happened, um, there was a feeling of all of us kind of being uplifted, like, all right, I, I can drink this Cool aid. Yeah. I'm buying into this guy. You know, he, he's, he's got me into it, and, and I, I, I feel like this could work. So, um but now that I saw everything play out, I'm starting to wonder if um, the decision they made of doing this, this thing and then this out and Cromer's in. And Cromer really has only been a head coach for a week, ten days.
0: Yeah. And
1: I, I think it showed, it, you know. And, and, yeah. and, and if this was going to be Cromer's team, I, I kind of have to second guess why, why wasn't he Running training camp and what you know, and and why was yeah, I I just felt like when shit hit the fan, there was really no one to answer to. And uh, I have to believe that even if Joe Pitt was on that sideline, I'm not saying the game, the final score would have been different or the Saints would have won, but um, I do feel like there would have at least been more leadership, um, or more of a sense of command on the sideline. Um, yeah, I mean, look. Shanahan was working the rest the whole game. He was red in the face, screaming at them. Cromer, again, you know, just kind of dumbfounded and, and deer in the headlights the whole the whole game. Um, and one thing that I noticed, um, well, I really think the Saints were poorly prepared from from top to bottom. And some of the guys that played in that game that I thought were very disappointing and a step slow were guys that weren't really practicing that week. Um, so you look at the guys that I felt kinda of struggled. Joe Morgan. Yeah. You know he's been battling with a knee problem. Didn't didn't practice, didn't go full all week. Um, Marcus Colson didn't practice at all that week. To me he looked gun shy. I mean he he had alligator arms, he didn't look aggressive, you know, going going to get the football. He just he looked out of it. Um yeah. David Hawthorne just got his knee cleaned up. He he looked like he was limping out there at times. He he wasn't running fast sideline to sideline. Will Smith suspended all week. Yeah. He got manhandled by Trent Williams. So and, and so you add all of these things up and and it, it makes to a lot of mental mistakes. And all those guys that I just mentioned are guys that were just plain not prepared. Yeah. And um, so it kind of makes me wonder if the same throughout a lot of players there that they trusted based on Hey, you're a veteran. You're going to be fine. And really, they put a lot of guys in there that weren't ready to play.
0: Yeah, I I I, I almost wish they, especially I noticed that with Hawthorne too, and I, and I almost wish they would have played it safe with him, like they did with Greer. You know, it's just it's just one week, and I know players push and push and push, but. I would rather them get healthy, and I don't. I'm, hopefully, it didn't hurt anything with Hawthorne, but he just—I don't—I don't know. He didn't look—he didn't look like the player that I saw when you watched Seattle. I had some old Seattle games from last year still on my DVR. He didn't—he didn't look like the same guy.
1: No, he—he he was a liability out there.
0: You know. Um,
1: yeah, I think that the main thing that I saw with Hawthorne is you know. The Redskins were running that wide receiver screen a lot. You know, obviously, uh, Les Miles' favorite play call. And um, when when they were running those screens, uh, that was basically an extension of the running game, but it really puts the pressure on the linebackers to get sideline to sideline. Yeah. And part of the reason that was working so well was because Hawthorne was moving laterally
2: very poorly. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
0: Yeah, and and and, Sh- and Shanley went got out, got hurt and they put in Herring and he was terrible it looked like to me. Um uh, and Shanley I mean, was
1: playing great until he got hurt. He was yeah. playing really
0: well. we haven't. I didn't see. I saw a word from Johnny Patrick that he they got good news on him. I didn't. I haven't seen anything on Shanley, so I'm not sure.
1: That, that, well, you know, a typical Sean Payton mode. Um, they're you know they're not revealing much, but Kermer did drop the nugget that he hopes to get both Shanley and Henderson back soon. So it doesn't sound you know I mean it, it could easily still be a four week injury. But yeah. uh, at least it doesn't sound like it's very serious.
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good thing. Um, the Saints, the defense was, as we we started off, was was fairly just dominated. There's no other way to put it. Um, how did the Corey White look specifically? He he played a lot. He was playing a lot early, and he played even more when Johnny Patrick went out. How did he look to you?
1: You know, top to bottom, the defensive backfield was poor. Um, and I think after the game, uh, I was really down on our safeties. I was down on and, – and this is just my point of view from walking out of the Superdome, watching the game live in person without instant replays, really, or TV or anything. So, in real time, I was most disappointed in Jenkins and Harper, you know, and I, I just decided you know, enough is enough. Now, how long have we had these two safeties now – and they're not delivering, they're not living up to um, their supposed captain status and their supposed, uh, you know, on the brink of stardom, um, and I just haven't seen it from those two, and, and that game was very disappointing and really an extension of the 49ers game where they really laid an egg to end our season a year ago. Uh, but looking at the game tips, uh there was not, in my eyes, a lot of mistakes by those two. Now, the, the Harper interference call um that that's a tough call, man. That's a tough call on him. I thought it was good coverage. that he did lock arms with the guy, but he turns around, locates the ball, bats it down. Um, you know, that that's that's a 50 play at best. And, yeah. and given the circumstance, I know a lot of referees hold that flag and uh, especially in the superdome. Um, you know, sometimes you're at home you get some generous calls. So um I, I thought it was a weak call and I can't really blame Pepper for that because I felt like the coverage was decent. Um You know, both him and Jenkins took some bad angles on some tackles, and uh, that that was unfortunate. But I didn't really see any plays where either of them um, screwed the pooch immensely. You know, they just completely um, fell apart. I actually thought the weakness in this game was more attributable to the cornerback play, both Patrick Robinson and Corey White. Um, So back to your original question, (laughs) I saw some good things about – well, the very first play of the game, they run a wide receiver screen. Um, Corey White fights off a block, runs right to the line of scrimmage, makes a tackle. Fantastic play. And uh, he couldn't have started better. And you're thinking when he makes that play, wow, I can see where this guy started. And he's off to a great rookie campaign. Um, you know, and he had his moments. He had some times where I thought coverage was good. Um, but, unfortunately, two things. Number one, the Saints pass rush was so bad. And number two, even if it was good, RG3 has incredible capability. So yes. um, that's a double whammy in terms of the amount of time you've got to stay on your receiver. And uh, there were there were two or three times specifically where White completely lost his man, and that hurt the Saints badly. Um, and then they they came on an all-out blitz on a third and goal, and uh, he completely lost Robinson for, for a slant, for a touchdown. So he gave up some plays that hurt the Saints really badly. And, uh, I, I I'm not ready to write him off. You know, I, I'm not like this guy sucks. But, uh, you know, it's about what you would expect for a fifth round rookie. He made some mistakes and he paid for it and it really hurt the team.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, Twitter was all abuzz last night because of Tracy Porter had a fantastic game, uh, for Denver and wrapped up, <laughs> wrapped up the win with a replay of the, uh, of the Super Bowl where he picked off the pass on the sideline and took it in. And I'm going to defend, I'm going to defend the Saints on Tracy Porter and the fact that, look, you know, I thought they should have re-signed him at the $4 million price for one year. But, Andrew, it's a defensible move by the Saints because Mickey Loomis can say, look, I don't want to pay Tracy Porter 4 to $5 million a year when history tells me, one, last year, he was not that good, except for a couple of spots. And two, he's only going to play ten to twelve games. So I don't want to pay four million dollars for eight games. So it was yeah. a def- it was, a def- it, was a def- it was a defensible move, um, you know, except for the fact that he's a legend for Saints fans. But you know, it was a, it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't the horrible move that we all sort of joked on Twitter last night. And nobody was beating down Tracy Porter's door. Denver got him on a discount. Now, listen, if he's got great ball skills, and if he stays healthy, he'll hit the lottery and get a mega payday. But, but you can't say that somehow Denver was smarter than everybody else. They're just lucky.
1: Let's be honest here. I'm with you. Porter got a one-year deal. How old is he? He's what, 25, 26 in the prime of his career? He had a one-year deal. So, um, it, it's not like Denver came out and offered him you know, a five year deal for yeah. 35 million that he couldn't refuse. So um, let's not mistake, you know, what it is for, for something else. But, uh, you know, look right now. Yeah. He made a terrific play and, and certainly it would have been really nice to have him uh, as depleted as the Saints are at corner right now. And you know, with Johnny Patrick going down and made it even worse, <laughs> um, having Porter would have been nice for sure in that game. Um, but one thing you got to keep in mind is. Um, as much as a lot of Saints fans right now are saying how much it would have been nice to have Tracy Porter, um, if he blows out his knee in Week Five, um, we're going to be seeing a different team pretty quickly, and it's going to be same old Tracy Porter. Pretty glad we didn't resign him.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I, look, listen, I hope he, I hope he has a great year in Denver because he's in the he's in the AFC. Maybe the Saints can burn him a little when the Saints go to Denver. But God bless him if he has a, if he has a great year and plays all sixteen games and hits the lottery, good for him because. We'll always have two thousand nine, so I'm not gonna hate on the guy, obviously. But any team that wants to sign him to a long term deal, God bless you. As a fan of that team, that would scare the crap out of me. But um, and
1: some people have the money to invest, Ralph.
0: Yeah. Me? Do not. No, do not they don't
1: have money, they they have to pick and choose which veterans they want to invest in. And if you gave me a choice between Ben Grubbs, Marcus Colston, Curtis Lawson, and Tracy Porter, Love you, Tracy. So happy about what you did for us in the Super Bowl, but sorry.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Saints veterans, uh, Devery Henderson got uh, a concussion, it looks like. Everybody knows the NFL is all about safety. It's all about concussions. And, well, they should be. They take it. It's it's very serious, so you don't know when Devery's going to be back. Uh, Joe Morgan's going to be filling in. uh, I thought he looked lost at times. And confused on top of the fact that he was struggling to catch the ball, uh, how concerned should we be that the Saints might be without Devery for a little bit?
1: Very, um, because remember we don't have Robert Meacham anymore either, and Jim Morgan was one of those guys that was potentially supposed to step in and fill that void. So, um, and I think I don't know how many of you follow Angry Hoot at on Twitter, but um, he, he kind of said it up today. Um, you know, as fun as it is to. Root for Joe Morgan, by all accounts. He's a great guy, and uh, and he's funny on Twitter sometimes. And it's fun as it is to root for the underdog in preseason when he has that 60-yard touchdown. I mean, you know, that's all fine and good, and that's great. But uh, when you look at what he did in that game, he's not an NFL-ready football player. He's fast, but what I saw was zero separation, very poor sloppy routes that were run, and no hands no hands whatsoever. Um, he had three catchable balls. One was the average throw by Breeze that would have taken an exceptional play to come up with. Um, one was uh, about a 15-yard reception right over the middle, um uh, you and I could catch Ralph, and, and he dropped it. And another was, uh, was a pass in the end zone that would have, again, kind of been, been an athletic and outstanding catch, but uh, he couldn't come up with it. So, um, but, 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 look, in the NFL, those are the catches that you have to make to be successful because um, yeah. the catches don't come easy. If you look at Lance Moore and the game he played yesterday, half of those catches, they're not easy catches. You yeah. know? And, and that's the thing. I mean, guys like Jimmy Graham and Lance Moore, they make it look easy. But the window to make that catch with the guy draped all over you, it's, it's very difficult. you got to have a great hands. Joe Morgan doesn't have them.
0: Well, and here's my here's my concern. Well, one, Devery's a really you've said it many times. And you're one of the guys. You're you're the guy that actually brought it to my attention. You say Devery Henderson is a is a really good block and receiver, and he knows what he's doing. And the thing for the Saints is all their receivers are interchangeable. You got to know that playbook. They'll put you at the you know inside, outside, slot, whatever. Put you in motion, all that. stuff. So, my concern with Devery Henderson being out more so than the blocking is that Devery Henderson. Is one of those things that scared the crap out of defensive coordinators because they look at film like the Bears game, where the Bears last year were sort of in control of that game, and the Saints were 0 and 1, and the the stadium was kind of on edge, and the the offense was kind of struggling, and then Devery Henderson just runs by the by the corner in the in the cover two, Breeze puts it on the money, and boom, it's a 75 yard touchdown. You know, cue the music and it's uh, it's party time. And defensive coordinators, Andrew, look at that and are like, we cannot let Devery Henderson beat us deep. Whereas mm-hmm. with, with Joe Morgan, they might say, you know what? Joe Morgan, we're going to single cover you. Let's see, A, if you get separation, and B, let's see if you can catch the ball. And if he's not up to the task, boy, that changes everything on the Saints defense. It doesn't mean that they're yeah. gonna it doesn't mean they're gonna turn into the Browns, but with their defense, if the Saints go from thirty five points to twenty eight points, that's a big damn deal.
1: Yeah, and and, and uh Ralph look I, I think if you look at Devery at the beginning of his career, he wasn't all that different from Joe Morgan. Yeah. He was a very raw and unpolished receiver that could run really fast. Couldn't catch a cold, but naked in the rainstorm. And, um, just, uh, it didn't really have polish. You know, he was a running back for half his career at LSU. so He didn't run routes that well, didn't really understand the concept of blocking. Um, Henderson is known in his, in his career as one of the hardest workers on the team. And he yeah. stays late after practice and he's really um, perfected his craft. And that's how he's gotten to be what I think is a pretty, Um, diverse receiver. You know, he's gotten to the point now where he's pretty good as a possession receiver. He's, You know, he's lost a set, but he's still a deep threat. He blocks well. He does all the things you want out of her. he's a complete receiver. Um, So I'm not saying that Joe Morgan can't get there, but I think the difference is when Henderson was coming up, he was um, on a mediocre team, and he made a lot of mistakes that hurt a mediocre team that ended up 8-8, and and he would make some plans and he would hurt you. Um, now, Joe Morgan, is he capable of getting behind a player and, and getting a touchdown for the Saints at some point this season? Sure. But I think you also saw the other side of that, which is he's going to drop passes, he's going to hurt you. And when you're on a team like this, it's just a lot harder to accept it because um, the, the margin of error for this offense, if, if, the, if, if the defense is going to continue to play like this, the margin of error for the offense, it's going to be incredibly
0: small for this team to be able to win Yeah, it it is, and and that brings me to the next issue is that's the O line. Look, the O line got whipped. I thought, and I thought it was a com- I thought it was a combination of them falling behind. You know, it, it's the same script sort of Andrew for the last six years. You know, when the Saints lose, it's offensive line gets whipped, Drew Brees get hit gets hit too much, presses, throws a critical pick late and the Saints forget that it is legal in in football to run the football. That is a legal play. Um, So that's the the formula when the Saints lose for six years. I mean, I I know on Monday morning I'm going to have in my inbox, I'm going to have six emails. Why the hell didn't the Saints run the ball more? I mean, that's just – it is the Sean Payton era. Um, But on the flip side, as bad as it looked at times, it happened last year against the Rams. It happened last year against Tampa. It's happened four, five, six times in the Sean Payton era where their offensive line gets destroyed. They fix it. How concerned are you about this offensive line?
1: Well, the the Redskins' front seven is exceptional. You know, it it is one of the tougher front sevens in the NFL. Um, Now, their back four is very poor, and so I'm disappointed to think Um, weren't able to attack them more, but, you know, obviously Breeze didn't have the time. Um, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned, number one, because Cromer is their coach. He's the guy making the adjustments and, uh, is is at swimming obviously right now? And he's got bigger fish to fry. So they don't even have their main guy. And and that's his, his expertise is, um, the the line. Um, I think what I'm most concerned about, and I don't know if this falls on Cromer lack of preparation, or maybe even slightly on Drew Brees. But the line just seemed out of sync to me all day long. Yeah. And there were there were a couple times where the Redskins lined up overload blitzes. And in the past, the Saints have been masters at their line rotating. I don't know if Carl Mix not being there maybe changes things. Um, I, yeah, I can't pinpoint the exact reason why they didn't do as well in this game as they usually do. But they are masters at rotating their line and picking up the blitzes. Any oncoming blitzers, they all get a hat on them. And there was at least two or three times where, um, uh, D'Angelo Hall or, you know, I don't know if it was a 3-4 that was messing with them, but, you know, blitzing corner safety would come free. And Breeze Bree would have a guy unabated, you know, coming to him and he would have to, um, you know, make a play to, to make a miss. Um, and that was disconcerting because, you know, when I looked at the film, there was one play in particular, the play where D'Angelo Hall got the sack on breeze where two guys come blitzing from that side. And Darren And Darren Sprouls, by the way, for a little guy, unbelievable pass protection. Yes. From what I saw in there, he did a phenomenal job in pass protection. But – uh so he, Sprouls has two guys coming at him. He's got to pick one. So he makes the block – And D'Angelo Hall comes free and and nails Breeze for the sack. But if you look at the replay, German Bushrod, the the sack comes to Breeze. Bushrod doesn't see anyone to his left or his right. So he immediately turns to his right and helps the whole team um, with grubs. And that opened this lane for these two blitzers to come in. And so um, that was just a poor job on the face line part of recognizing the blitzers and – Um, You know, basically Bushrod elected to come into the interior and double team as opposed to rotating outside and picking up that blitz. And if you look at the Saints offense when they're running a clinic out there and firing on all cylinders, that's a perfect example of a play where Bushrod makes that rotation, picks up that blitzer. You give Breeze a second and a half more, and it's a 25-yard game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the the run game. they only ran the ball ten times. Um, you know, I didn't feel like they ever I only felt like there was a there was one moment where I wish they wouldn't have been aggressive and they would have run the ball more. And that was when it was thirty three to twenty five. They got the ball. The crowd was in the game, first play, Drew Brees threw it in the seam, overthrew Lance Moore, pick. Washington runs it back, basically game over. That was a moment where I would have liked them to see I would have liked the Saints to try to run the ball. Now I know the Saints said, "Hey, main reason we didn't run the ball is because we got a lot of penalties and we were behind the sticks." But like you said, angry hoot at sort of broke it down and said, "No, not really. You had plenty of chances to run the ball and you just didn't." Um and What's what's your take on not at the Saints in general, but yesterday? Did you was there any at any point where you were like, they need to run the ball now? This is a good spot for them, or were you always feeling like they were under the gun and needed to press to get back in the game?
1: Well, I, I, it wasn't so much the the score as the down and distance. I mean, I yeah. really felt like the penalties to a large extent had handcuffed them. Um, my God, I mean that. Again, going back to the offensive line, it wasn't just the missed assignments and, and sometimes they were just flat out can't beat. Um, but it was the holding, it was the false starts. Um, you know, there were just so many times where the Saints were in third and 20, second and yeah. 15 and, and there, that, that throws out half your playbook, yeah. you know, when you're in that down and distance. So um, no, you know, I, I mean, you, you look at, at, at the numbers and you see 52 passes and 10 rushes and that's, that's egregious. I mean, that's massive and, um, that's a shocking number. Um, yeah. but, but, uh, you know, so obviously I would have liked to have seen more balance. And look, when the Saints did run the football, they ran it pretty good. I thought Ingram looked pretty solid. Um, and obviously there was a really small sample size, but I thought Pierre Thomas and Ingram ran the ball hard and, and they, they would usually get about three, four, five yards. Um, and if they had stuck with it, I think it would have, um, and, and look, we knew we knew going into this game, we talked about this at length, Kerrigan and Arakko is what makes this skin defense tick. And you had to keep those guys honest. They weren't honest the whole game.
0: Yeah.
1: So so if you talk about what the Redskins do well, the Saints played right in that hand.
0: Yeah, they did. And um, the running game I thought was, like I said, that at one spot where they were – could have had a chance to tie. That was the spot where I would have liked them to run the ball. Um, I I felt like like I felt like Sproles disappeared for long stretches, and I don't know if that was something Washington did specifically or it was play calling. I know Washington did a really good job against the Saints' screen game, but like you said, that was that was a product of a lot of time of the Saints we're trying to run the screen when it's second and third and long and defenses are looking for the screen on those downs. Uh what should this what should this running back rotation who who should be the lead guy when they run the ball? Uh
1: well, I, you know, I think it's still Mark Ingram is is the number one north and south guy. Pierre Thomas is kind of the jack of all trades. So, you know, when Pierre Thomas is in the game it's maybe fifty fifty, so it's gonna be run or pass. Yeah. When Mark Hero is in the game it's maybe seventy five percent of the time run. And when Darren Sproles is in the game it's maybe seventy five percent of the time pass, if not more. Maybe like eighty five percent of the time pass. Yeah. So I don't think that's gonna change but um and, and and I don't think it should change. You know, I think that's that's effective, but I think the key for the Saints,
2: you know, they're going to go into Carolina
1: next week. And look, it's just one week, and, and the main concern to me again is the defense, it's the pass rush, yeah, um, it's the 4 play at cornerback. Those are all big points of concern. And, and look, if Cam Newton's going to put up forty points in Carolina on the Saints, um, then 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 I'm really going to start to worry. You know, and they only now, had
0: they only had thirteen yards rushing, by the way, in Tampa.
1: Yeah, which is supposed to be what they're best at um, so we'll see what happens um, but uh, yeah I think the key with the Saints is um, look they, they made a ton of mistakes but it was week one and it's not like Sean Payton hasn't been guilty of passing too much before and Carmichael knows you know he's going to look at the game tape he's going to look at his play calling and he's going to realize that he kind of dropped the ball in this game he didn't call it very good game. And, um, he'll make adjustments and, uh, I suspect they'll be better
0: on Sunday. Yeah, I think, I think, and that was the way I ended my column. I said, you know, the big question was, you know, we know the Saints are eventually going to get hit in the mouth and they're going to have some adversity, big adversity in this season. And that's when it, we're going to, we're going to figure out, hey, is this interim coaching and all this, is it going to work? Or is all the people that said the Saints are headed for six and ten or seven and nine? Or they right and that the Saints will sort of crumble and fall apart? And we thought maybe it would happen later, but, Andrew, I'm here to tell you, we're going to get a really, really good read on how this whole thing is working out because Sean Payton, yeah, the Saints have had rough patches in his time where they've looked really bad in games, but usually the next week they bounce back. And yeah. if I still see the penalties, the confusion – um, especially the pre snap penalties. That means this interim thing, they can't fix it. And that's a huge, that'll be a huge, huge red flag, almost m- just as much as a loss would be. Um, if you had to, if you had to look at Caroline and you had to look at this game, what do you expect the sort of, Focused to be on offense of what they're going to try to do to get themselves back on track.
1: You know, I don't think the, the offense is that far off. I mean, they, they scored 32 points. I think um, they, they, when the, the very few times they ran the ball, it looked good. Um, on third and one, you know, they got that conversion. Yeah. with Ingram. It looked good doing that. Um, I, I thought the pass protection, especially, um, German Bushrod and Brian Villapuente. Those two in particular I thought did an extremely poor job of pass blocking. Streif, other than his two false starts, I thought was exceptional. I mean, yeah. he, he was blocking Brian Aracco most of the day, and we didn't hear his name called very much. In fact, the very few times Brian Arakpo played well was when he rotated over to the other side and went up against Bushrod. So yeah. um, Bushrod didn't play well, Villapuente didn't play well. Uh, gross i thought played really well and jerry evans was great other than two penalties so um but i think I, I think you eliminate the penalties and it changes everything i really think it's that simple for the offense. now the defense is another story and we, <laughs> i can take hours talking about what they need to say
0: well right. i mean the
1: offense—they they put up 32 points despite continually shooting themselves <sighs> in the foot over and over and over and look Brees didn't even play that well. He wasn't that accurate. He had a ton of passes tipped at the line of scrimmage. He was under duress all day. Um, so I really firmly believe Ralph, and we'll see the Saints run more if they don't have second and fifteens all the time. So yeah. it, it for the offense it's, it's it's that simple. Don't get penalized as much.
0: Yeah, I mean it um I watched the Carolina game, uh, when they played Tampa Got Home and it was it was a game locally on in New Orleans. Um cam newton he he was kind of you know he threw for three hundred yards horrible. Which, you know he he threw two two interceptions Tampa their main thing was Carolina's not running, and I think the Saints have faced cam Newton so they really should know what to expect and I thought they you know yeah the Washington did when you look at the numbers, you're like, man they ran for they had a they had a lot of they had a lot of rushing yards, yeah, they did, but you know. They had 153 yards, but 44 carries. I mean, I, I they had a couple of they had a couple of big runs late, but I mean, you could attribute that to 39 minutes of possession. I didn't feel like Washington really was dominating the Saints' defensive line, but it was at home, and the Saints did have the, the crowd noise advantage, which they won't have in Carolina. Um, did you see anything that anybody? on the defensive line that stuck out in a positive way that we can.
1: Oh, absolutely. I thought the run defense was outstanding, especially going back and looking at the tape. Um, I thought that uh, Bunkley is a huge addition. Yeah. He controls the line of scrimmage. He was outstanding. Um, Lofton was outstanding against the run. Um, Cam Jordan was, I felt the best player on defense. I thought he was incredible against the run. And I, I told you um, at the beginning of the week that that right tackle that was replacing Jamal Brown, um, that matchup against him versus uh, Cam Jordan was, was a huge, hugely in favor of the Saints. Now Jordan kind of did his usual no show and pass rushing situations, but um, stopping the run, he had 11 tackles led the team and number of those were him shedding his block and making the play around this line of scrimmage. So, he was outstanding against the run. And we know Will Smith is always going to be pretty good. And uh, Shanley, before he got hurt, was uh, very good against the run. So uh, I thought the run defense was outstanding. And I think um, Hawthorne, again, just didn't move laterally very well for me. And, it, you know, if, he, if he's 100%, um, I really think that that run defense has transformed because you compare what, what I saw from Bunkley and Ellis out there, and uh, that, that beats over Brad Franklin and, and Sean Rogers from last year by a mile, by country mile. So okay. the, run de- the run defense, as far as I'm concerned now, let, 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 let's, let's be honest, the right side of the Redskins' offensive line, especially running the football, week, and they gave the football the entire game to a six-round rookie out of Florida International. So um, I'm not ready to anoint Alfred Morris as, you know, the next Barry Sanders and, uh, I, I don't know how good the Redskins running game is, but you're right, they were fully committed to it. And I thought the Saints did an amazing job against yeah. the
0: runs. Yeah. D'Angelo Williams does have a history of having nice games against the Saints. And he has a yeah. tendency to break off some big runs, so it'll be interesting. Um, this game is real, this, this Carolina game interests me, Andrew, because Carolina was sort of a sleeper pick, a trendy, you know, um, you know, big game pick. And, this game Sunday, there's going to be a team that that they're going to be the talk all week because either the Saints are going to be 0 two and it's going to be a full blown crisis, they're going in the toilet, they're going to have a downward spiral, or Cam Newton is having a sophomore slump, and that'll be the talk all week. So it, yeah, it,
1: no, there's a lot of pressure on both teams. I agree.
0: And the the one interesting point, I, I like it. I like it. I like him as a writer because he makes me think. I don't. I don't agree with him. I disagree with him more than I agree with him, I think. But Michael Silver for Yahoo, I like him. He's a really good writer. And he he made an interesting sort of declaration about if the Saints get off to a slow start, one and three, one and four, that sort of thing, that they might sort of pack it in and become like a martyr team, like, hey, the NFL has really been unfair to us and just they're going to be – it could down it could go downhill really fast. I sort of disagree with that because I just I don't I don't think Drew Brees would would let that happen. I mean, we've seen them when they're 0 and 4 and they dug out of the hole in 2000. I, I just don't see Drew Brees let, letting that happen. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not insane. How much trouble is this team could it be in if they have a really bad if they have a really slow start to this year?
1: Well, I mean, they'd be in trouble from the standings, but, uh, what you touched on, I fully agree with. There's no way Breeze on his watch is letting his team give up. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're five and 10, you know, and they yeah. have one game left or, or whatever, whatever the situation is. Um, you know, if they're fighting for their lives at four and seven and they got to win out to make the playoffs or whatever, he's going to believe till the end. So, um, no, I, I, I can't speak for the defense, but. Um, you know, I think there's enough character guys. I mean, when you look, if you ask me, you know, who, who do I think the, the locker room leaders are? Who are the guys that um, that are really the vocal guys? You know, I think of Breeze. I think of Zach Streif. I think of Jari Evans. I think of Roman Harper, Malcolm Jenkins, Jonathan Thoma. Yeah. There's just no way those guys. Those guys have all won a Super Bowl. Um, they know what it takes to win. And uh, the, the Saints, you know, look, for what it's worth, Sean Payton's blueprint was to bring in character guys. And sometimes you sacrifice talent for character to find the right player that fits what you're looking for. And, um, you know, Scott Shanley is another perfect example of a guy, not the best athlete, but, um, he's a guy that you can count on. The coaches know what they're going to get from him. And he's, he's kind of got that character where he's not going to allow his watch, his defense to, to mail it in or give up. So, um, I think that's the one benefit that you have um, when, when Sean Payton's not here. And when Sean Payton's gone for a season is um, he can the Saints can trust that, the, that these players that they've invested in um, are going to carry that legacy, you know, that they're going to – even if Sean Payton's not there, that they're going to give it their all. And, uh, you know, they're not – so, look, I mean, how many times over the years have we seen a team with TL where they were – they had a losing record and he just starts to love you know, and he just doesn't care because it doesn't really matter. And he's going to pick up his paycheck yeah. and if the team loses, he's still getting his paycheck and they're not going to make the playoffs. And so um that's exactly it. It's funny. I, people were tweeting me today. We got to start. Our receiver stuck We need to sign Plaxico, Tio, or Jacinko. And it's amazing to me after all these years that some fans just don't get it. That's, yeah. The same will never sign players like that specifically for that reason. And
0: yeah. yes,
1: Trust me, they're more talented than Joe Morgan. I know that. Even well, at
0: the well, I mean, I think you know. I think the closest they've ever come is they this year. Look, they worked out Randy Moss, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe they offered him a deal, but I doubt it because I think, I think if the Saints would have offered Randy Moss a contract, he would have said to himself, "I'd rather play with Drew Brees than Alex Smith." I think the Saints worked him out, and he looked great, but they were like, you know we don't really need Randy Moss. We're not going to chance it, having him yeah, around here.
1: At the here. time, they were still – this is before they had re-signed Colston.
0: Yeah. And
1: I always kind of suspected that there was a little bit of a mind game going on there. Yeah. Either with The 49ers, you know, who were rumored to be very interested in Colston um, or a mind game with Colston to pressure him to sign.
0: Yeah, and uh, – the interesting thing that I, that I heard today on a podcast, and I'd heard Mike Lombardi uh, from the NFL Network mention it before, uh, and it goes back to the thing about you know do you do you need to run the football to set up the pass? Do you need to run the football to win? And this thing, look, his thing, his whole point was look in the modern NFL, you don't need to have perfect balance, fifty-fifty or sixty-forty, but he said what you needed to have is. There's an advanced statistic that teams have been using the last four or five years as stats have become really, really uh, ingrained in teams. And what it is is the number 51. You take your completed passes and your runs, and if they add up to 51, you win the game like 70-something percent of the time. So you complete 30 passes, you got to have 21 runs. You know, like the Saints, they had 24 completed passes – and 10 runs, so they only had 34. Washington had 44 runs, you know, do the math. So right. so as we look to this Carolina game, um, I fully expect the Saints to come out focused as hell. Now, does that mean the defense is going to be a lot better? I don't know. But I fully expect this offense to play a lot better and to have a sense of I wouldn't call it desperation but I'm going to say it's going to be a Drew Brees is going to be a little pissed off Andrew because he on the podium he doesn't say anything provocative you know because he's always got that perfect Drew Brees image you know and he's not going to say he's not even going to say like I totally blew it or, or that but you know he was looking at those stats and he was like 24 of 52 that's just That's just not, you know, not good. And he almost almost kind of tailed off, and he, like, shook his head. And you could almost see it in him where he was like, fuck that. This is not acceptable. This isn't happening again. So I fully expect the Saints offense to come out with an anger and a purpose. But what do you think the play calling is going to be like early? Well, yeah,
1: he he said specifically – uh, it makes me angry, and I don't think I've ever seen yeah. him say that he was angry about something. But, uh, look, getting back, for, before I answer your question, one thing that you had mentioned that I think is really good, he talks about reaching the number 51. Um, I don't think it's as crucial for the Saints to run as much, um, and the reason why is because typically – Breeze is very accurate. Yes. And, you know, you look at his completion percentage and the Saints are counting on their quarterback having the highest completion percentage in NFL history, yes. which he's given them in two separate seasons. So, um, based on the high volume of completions that you're getting out of Breeze, um, it, it's it, it's more efficient than even if you keep throwing at, at a higher rate than some other teams. So, um, now if you get it to a point where he's completing 48% of his passes or less, like he was on Sunday, then, yeah, it's yeah. probably a good idea to be running more. So, um, but anyway, getting back to your question, um, I think against Carolina the Saints are going to try to establish the run early. Um, but I don't think it's going to be one of those things where all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, the balance was horrible last week, so yeah. I don't care. We're running the first 15 plays, no matter what happens. If you go three and out, I don't care. We're running again. I still think bread and butter of this offense is passing. Now, they need the running game to be successful to set them up with third and manageable, not third and 10, not third and 15. If they get those third and manageable, that's where they excel, you know. And, and so I still think we're going to see a lot of the Drew Brees wrinkles. They're not looking to completely 180 their offense. They're just looking to have a little bit more balance. And so, you know, they, they ran – I think the ideal thing for the Saints is we give the ball eight times to Ingram, seven times, maybe six times to to, uh, to Pierre Thomas, and maybe three, four times to Stroll. So yeah. we're still really only talking about mm, more than 15 carries, but almost under 20. You know, that's what? kind of between that eight, 18 carries range. So, you know, if the Saints get to 20 carry, more than 20 carries, that's really
0: high for them. Yeah, I mean, if you look, I mean, if you look at it, you look at you know, 20 carries and 40 throws, and you 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 expect Breeze to hit between on the low end 60 percent of his passes and on the high end 70. Yeah, 70 is
1: 70 the target. Yeah.
0: 70 is the target, so that would be what 27 out of 27 out of 40. So, right. you know. 27 plus 27 completions plus 20 runs. That's 47. You're almost there. You know, so I mean, I think, I think you're right with the balance there. Um, before I get your game prediction, um, besides the emails of why didn't they run more was I got some great emails t- today. Um, and I was, I was really excited. I'm always excited on WWL when they have the most read and the most emails. And the forecast is right behind Bradley Hanwerger, the, the, the great uh, Saints reporter that WWE all has. When I was number two, I was really pumped because that means more emails. But, Andrew, I got so many emails either asking me the question, if Sean Payton is in contact with the team, do I think that, or theories on how he would do it. And uh-huh. my mother, God bless her, totally convinced me that Sean Payton is talking to the Saints And she laid it out this way. He goes to Pete Carmichael before he leaves, and he says, Pete, you're my boy. We've been together for six out of seven years. We go way back. I'm going to talk to you because you're going to call the place, and I'm not talking to anybody else. It's just going to be you. I'm buying a Walmart prepaid phone with cash. So are you. And he's only talking to Carmichael. He's not telling anybody. Carmichael's not telling anybody. That way... Nobody knows it. They're not. There's no talking in the building. Oh, Carmichael's really talking to Payton. Because if it gets out and Goodell investigates and find out, you think he dropped the hammer before? If he finds out Sean Payton is contact with the Saints, he'll really drop the hammer on the fucking Saints. But I think Sean Payton is probably in contact with the Saints and is probably Carmichael because offense is Sean Payton's thing. Do you believe that Sean Payton? is still in contact with the Saints some kind of way? And if he is, who's he talking to?
1: Man, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> what's the name of the, uh, the felon that John Hayden buddies with? Ornstein? Yeah, Ornstein. I mean, that would be the obvious go-between um, since he's technically not affiliated with the Saints and Hayden's allowed to talk to him.
0: So. Oh, yeah, I didn't um,
1: think that's technically a good theory. He's, technically, he's not breaking any rules if he's like, hey, Ornstein uh, – yeah, you know, tell tell Petey Boy to uh, you know, maybe hand off to Mark Ingram five or six more times next week. And uh, you know, and uh Orange Seed probably emails Greg Bentel in some code like I've got five thousand dollars on Aaron Rodgers' head and then that gets forwarded to uh Pete Carmichael and he decodes it and really just means, you know, hand off the Mike Ingram Mark Ingram four times. So um yeah, that would be my theory if I had to guess, but um I don't know,
0: man. Uh, we should we should have like a poll up or something. Yeah, we should. We, we might have, have to get a poll and have we to, have to new poll. We'll, have to get, well, the thing is, I like I I I like my mom's theory because um, the hot phones you pay cash, and if he's talking to just Carmichael, Andrew, he wouldn't have to do emails, and he wouldn't have to leave a paper trail. All he'd have to do is subscribe like you to the coach's film on his iPad and watch it on Wednesday, or you know, Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it's available, and then call up Pete Carmichael, and they know the language of the place. He could say, look, I've been watching the Carolina film. Uh, you need to run the jumbo package and put Graham in motion when they run this defense. Pete Carmichael already knows what he's talking about. It doesn't have to have a go-between. There's no trail. It's just a hot phone. So,
1: Yeah, and look, I mean – Sean Payton is—he's heavily invested. This is—and he's team. a control
0: freak and an A plus plus personality.
1: Yeah, you know they say Lindsay Lohan's sober, but you know if, if you gave me if you gave me money to to put on roulette, you know bet red or black. <laughs> red is yeah, Lindsay Lohan's had a beer in the last 90 days, and you know the, the other option is you know <laughs> I truly believe she stays sober. I'm probably putting that money on she's had a beer. So. You know, it's kind of like Peyton, you know, what are the odds? Look, like you said, they would come up with a creative paper trail that it would never be caught. I mean, Carmichael's certainly never going to rat out a boy. Um, And, look, if it's happening, we would never know. Well, we'll never find out. Um, But do I firmly believe that there's no chance that Peyton has had zero contact with the Saints organization? I, I find that hard to believe. No, yeah, no, it could be Breeze. It could be Breeze instead of Carmichael.
0: Ooh, it could be. Yeah.
1: But, um, but uh, or, you know, again, the Orstein's theory as a the go-between, but it, again, so it's kind of like that. If you, if you put it to me that way, if I had a bet on my life that Sean Payton had any contact with his team, um, especially after this week, after what he saw on Sunday, <laughs> I think the, the temptation is too high for him. Um, you know, he's, he's I know he watched that game, and I know there's no way that he's sitting on his couch and staying on
0: after that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just—I firmly believe it. And look, it's not the same because I don't think he's talking to him game day. He might help him during the week and be able to help him script those first fifteen, twenty plays, but that's all. I mean, he can't do adjustments like when the the Redskins are totally getting after Breeze. He's not. A, he's not. They're not talking to him during the game, so he's not able to make the adjustments and help him. But I guess yeah. I mean, look, it's like they said today. It's like Mike Lombardi said on the podcast. Sean 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 Payton makes seven and a half million dollars a year. There's a friggin' reason why he makes that kind of money. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I you know,
1: think I think we saw why on Sunday.
0: Oh, I know. I def I definitely do. Although to be fair, I'm not sh- I'm not sure. Sean Payton would have turned that game around. I just think Washington had it circled, and they were planning for this for day one. They, they had a great plan. And, look, RG3 is the real deal. I mean, and, and let me tell you something. When Mike Holmgren gets fired in January for running the Browns, I don't know if he ran them into the ground because they were already in the ground, but when he dug and put them to China – He's gonna say, you know what, I should have given five number ones for RG3. Because he's that, I think he's that good, and he's gonna make, he's gonna have Washington at the top of that division if Daniel Snyder will just stay out of the fucking way of Mike Shanahan. Because yeah. Michael Vick ain't getting it done. Tony Romo's a nice player, but he's, people don't realize he's 32. Eli um, Eli's good, but, You know, he's—I mean—he's been—he's been been good in the playoffs in the biggest game, but his regular season track record isn't so great. So I think there's a chance Washington could be at the head of that division in really short order. Um, I
1: think I think the one thing that's kind of hurting that team is playmakers. Um, I just I don't think the—they don't have the running backs. They don't really have elite receivers. Um, So I I think for Redskins, I think their peak is probably going to be in a few years when. Um, they put some nice pieces around RG3. But, uh, the one thing for me that really stood out is the accuracy of the ball. Oh, balls. goodness. If you look at rookies and, and it's, it's, um, it's really, uh, it's a, look now, some of his receivers are pretty freaking open, you know, but, um, there's the slight difference between a ball that's leading the receiver perfectly and right in his hand and that's maybe six inches to the right and just behind the receiver where yeah. he's got a, turn maybe, and maybe the ball goes off his fingertips and it gets intercepted. It's a very minute difference, um, but uh, it can have a huge impact on the game. And um, that's what I was impressed with was um, you know, his laser accuracy. And um, there was a lot of opportunities for him to run where I think he would have gained a lot of yards, but he wasn't afraid to hold on the ball for a second longer and wait for a receiver to come open and make the accurate throw. And that's what impressed me the most because when Vic was a rookie, but oh, he still does it now. The minute things break down, he doesn't know
0: what to do. He takes off. Yeah, um, he, I
1: didn't
0: see that from RG3. Yeah, RG3 just had a he had a calmness when it, when he got outside yeah. that pocket. He would always be like, "Ha ha, I'm outside the pocket. I've got the corner. Hey linebacker, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna come up and come after me? Oh, good. I'm throwing it over you, and I'm getting 15 yards. Oh, you're gonna cover the wide receiver, the tight end, and the flat." oh, that's great, I'm going to run for eight yards, and I'm just going to take my eight yards, scamper out of bounds, and you're not going to hit me. You know, it was yeah. just – I was just like, wow. But um, anyway, let's get to the Carolina game. Um, We'll start out must win or not a must win, and then give me uh, keys to the game, offense, defense, and a prediction.
1: Must win, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Divisional opponent on the road. Uh, the, the season could not have gotten off to a worse start at home. You need to go on the road against the divisional opponent. And you, yeah, and they I snapped
0: think. my personal 12-game win streak over 2009,
1: 10, 11, and 12. They snapped, they snapped my uh, – now, I did go to a game that they lost, but I forgot my Breeze jersey. So I had like an eight-game winning streak when I wear my Drew Breeze jersey to the game. So they snapped that streak as well. Um, but, um, so must win, absolutely, especially against a yeah. divisional opponent. Um, and, you know, Atlanta's already 1-0, and Tampa's already 1-0, so you gotta hold court against them. Um, so must win. Um, key to the game, I think, uh, on offense, it's, uh, limit penalties, and key to the game on defense generates some kind of pass rush. And what I told you was, I don't care if that means they have to put Martez Wilson and Junior Galette on first down. Um, Martez Wilson didn't play at all. He needs to get in there. Um, I, I realize they could be a liability, but but this is why you got Broder Bunkley, and um, this is why you you rely on Cedric Dallas, who mm-hmm. had a pretty good game. So um, let them step up, let them handle. This is why you got those linebackers, um, and let them you know try to manage with with weaker run support ends, um, but. Let's get more pressure on the quarterback. Let's find a way. So um, I'd say those are kind of the two, the two keys on offense and defense. And then, what did you want in prediction? Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's tough. I mean, I don't want to come out overconfident. You know, I mean, after, after what I saw on Sunday, it was really disconcerting. And
0: Vegas I'm had them I'd a two-and-a-half-point favorite, by the way. The, the Saints are? the Saints are, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I, t- I texted you this. For, surprisingly for me, I'm usually pretty even keel and very weak to weak. Yeah, but, you uh, did. For, for I texted you and said, you know, I'm kind of surprised at myself at how how much I'm looking at this as doomsday. Um, but man, the, the, the shining light here is that Carolina looks so bad against Tampa, um, but that's that's the thing. That they're backs against the wall, too, and they're going to come home and they're going to have immense pressure to win this game. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a battle. Last year when the Saints came to Carolina, they had a – it was very close until the very end. And you remember Jeremy Shockey ran off the field, not shaking anyone's hand, and it was kind of a, a heated battle. So, I mean, I think – I'm going to optimistically say the Saints win because really they can't afford not to. Um, but I'm going to say Saints 23, Carolina 20. I'm gonna say the Saints
0: yeah. cover by half a point. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good prediction, and we'll and we'll see. Andrew, one last thing before I let you go is it was it was fun finally meeting you and shaking your hand as uh, we we did manage to meet up. Um, did you did you read anything or see anything after one week of the NFL, non-Saints related, that you were like, holy shit, I didn't see that coming.
1: Uh, you need to the Jets you know, putting up more than 10 points.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had Buffalo's defensive fantasy. Yay me.
1: Yeah.
0: Minus two. Um,
1: I, I'd say my biggest holy shit moment of, of the um, – well, I'd say two things. Um, well, I, it wasn't holy shit. I was kind of expecting Peyton Manning to be good, but um, based on what I saw, okay, the Broncos are definitely contenders because they already had a good defense. And, uh, now they've got a quarterback. And since, funny, you look at what Tebow did last year and how they were able to stay in games with, uh, with him. And now, now they're going to blow people out. Oh, they're and by the way, they're out.
0: running the no huddle in the thin air in Denver. That'll be yeah. fun. But
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, enjoy that, Ryan Clark. But, um, so, yeah, so I, that, that was a surprise. And then I, I'd say the other is, is the 49ers. I mean, yeah absolutely taking a woodshed beating to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like the Saints game, you know, in a lot of ways Rodgers had a little shot at the game there and they kind of got close, but um, that defense was just so vicious. And um, they found ways to score points. I guess Alex Smith isn't that bad after all, but yeah. um, the 49ers to me picked up right where they left off. So I'd say the, I knew they were good teams, but the Broncos and 49ers in week one kind of, um, showed to me that they're every bit as good as advertised, and um, we'll see as the season progresses how they look. But right now, um, for me, they're early favorites.
0: Yeah, I mean that was the one thing that I thought with with the forty nine, the forty nine. If Alex Smith is going to play like that against like like he did in, in Green Bay with Randy Moss and with uh, Mario Manningham, the 49ers are the best team in football.
1: Yeah, that, that is
0: that is just a fact, and and. Give Jim Harbaugh credit. He picked Alex Smith off the scrap heap, got him competent, went after Peyton Manning, didn't get Peyton Manning, and just said, all right, and he's just getting Alex Smith to be where I think they could win the Super Bowl with Alex Smith, which, which really freaks me out. But that was, my, that was my one big takeaway after one week. But, Andrew, it's good to finally have football, and uh, hopefully the Saints can get it together in Carolina, because if not... Uh, it's DefCon seven, eight, nine, ten next week because then it's 0 and two, and uh, it's full blown crisis then.
1: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, like I said, must win, and uh, the the Saints don't really get any favors with their schedule either. So um, the rest of the games that game. we get, usually have been one of the more uh, manageable games of the Got to, got to win. Hopefully we're and it's one and one and not 0 and two. So. I
0: was on that. All right, Andrew. Until next week, uh, be well, my friend.
1: Back there.
0: Right,
2: yeah. All right. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader new cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.